This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to a uh, off-season, end-of-season uh, episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz. I hope you're all keeping well wherever you're listening Wherever you're downloading the podcast and listening to, um, I hope you're well. I hope you're fit. And I hope you're healthy. And you hope, I hope you're enjoying the the intermittent little bits of sunshine we're getting. Because when it gets warm, it's getting really warm and it's getting lovely as well. So across all of the Blood Red range, um, thank you once again for listening and keeping the faith with us and um, enjoying the podcast. Really appreciate it. I am joined by another two heavyweights of the Liverpool Echo journalistic world. It is Matt Addison and Paul Ghost. Quick hello to you first, Matt. How are you, pal? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. As you say, enjoying the uh, the sunshine. And we were just saying before we click record, weren't we? It's lasted more than two days, so can't complain. No, three days is a heat wave. We're not, we're not far off. Uh, Ghosty, how are you, pal? You OK? Yeah, not bad. Um, similar to Matt, really, enjoying the sun. I'll enjoy it a bit later when we're all done and dusted and we can get out for a beer and... Our uh, freedoms are hopefully coming back, aren't they? Slowly but surely, and uh, we can look ahead to a, a good summer, hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. But I was back at the, the Laugh House Comedy Club at the weekend. That's back up and running. I mean, it's it's a sort of a socially distanced type uh, club affair at the moment, but it's just great to be in front of people and having a laugh and seeing smiling faces again. It just makes it everything feel that little step closer to, to what we used to call normality. Um, let's talk all things uh, Liverpool Football Club, of course. Um, I think we were just on the verge of the Crystal Palace game uh, from my last pod, from our last pod together. Uh, we needed that win, of course, to get us over the line. Uh, we ended up third <laughs> in what can only be described as an absolutely bonkers season, let's be honest with you. A great performance by Liverpool. I mean, edgy first 15, 20, bit ropey, got into it, brushed them aside, really. And, of course, uh, Leicester shoot themselves in the foot, Um uh, Chelsea did as well, but got away with it. But um, finishing third after a season that we've had, Matt, uh, we'd take that, wouldn't we, pal? 100%, yeah. I mean, I think uh, a few months ago, it, it seemed almost impossible that Liverpool could get into the Champions League, get into the fourth spot. So, yeah, to, to finish third, you can have absolutely no complaints. I mean, it, it doesn't actually make a huge difference anymore, does it? Because there's no sort of playoffs or anything for, for fourth spot. But obviously, to get into to third, I think it, it just sort of makes you that little bit more excited for next season. I think the fact that, you know, obviously Liverpool have ended up finishing ahead of Chelsea, who've obviously then gone on and won the Champions League, it, it just sort of puts into perspective, really, when you consider everything that went wrong, Liverpool still managed to, to put together a run, what was it, eight wins and, and two draws to finish the season. That's, you know, title winning form without all of the players that they've got coming back. Since then, obviously, Ibrahima Kanate has come into the club hopefully one or two more signings before the start of next season. And it just makes things look that little bit more rosy, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's not that long ago that we were sort of talking about Liverpool as, as being seventh or eighth and, you know, what can they do to avoid being in the, the Europa Conference League and stuff like that? I mean, yeah, to, to finish third, it's, it's dreamland, isn't it? Considering all of the things that went wrong. And as I say, it just whets the appetite really for the start of next season. You've gone from having a summer really of thinking what could have been to really looking forward to, to next season now and, and really hoping that, that things come back as, as quickly as possible. Perfectly pop ghosty, isn't it? I mean, uh, we were, we've were we had podcasts in the past here where we were just absolutely in despair, really. Keeping up a, a stiff upper lip and a, a brave front, but inside, I mean, we'd be going off here going, blimey lads, what's going on? And, and um, 
um, you know, l- like Matt's just said, I mean, you know, sixth and seventh was looking looking like some, uh, at one point a battle. Um, but a brilliant run. What was it? Twenty. I mean, twenty twenty six out of out of the last thirty points. Yeah. That's the kind of form we've been used to as Liverpool fans, and just felt like they were on the road to recovery. And when we have what we've discussed as well, Paul, is that obviously the injuries um, were, were the main factor. Certainly for, for starting off it, but it was a poor run of form as well. Let's be honest with you. The strikers, um, most solid aside, really, but he missed plenty of chances as well. But the strikers didn't take their chances, and it, 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 you know, it, but for a, a really strong finish, it could have been a lot. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah, there's plenty of mitigation around Liverpool season, as we mentioned there, the injuries to so many players, and and. I think sometimes that, that's overlooked outside of the Liverpool bubble. I think a lot of people just think that it was Virgil van Dijk injured when it wasn't. It was Virgil van Dijk and then it was Joe Gomez and Joel Matip only played 10 games. Jordan Henderson been out since February. That was the end of his season. Jota was out for three months. Thiago was out for nearly three months. Um, and pretty much everyone else in between them, apart from maybe Robertson, Wijnaldum and, and Firmino, were out at some stage. So injuries, no doubt, you know, ravaged the season. But... On top of that, there was some poor performances. That there's no getting away from it. You know, we, we can make mitigation and we can explain it, um, and you can make an excuse to an extent. But uh, when Liverpool are losing six games at home, and you know, three of them are to, are to Burnley and Brighton, and, and you know, Everton. Let's face it, Everton haven't won at Anfield since '99. They and won fairly comfortably. Fulham. Um, that was the, the low point of the season for me. Um, it went beyond just having a little bit of an injury injury crisis. You know, some of the, those performances were were nowhere near what's expected um, from some really top players in the team at the time, despite the injuries. But um, as we said, Liverpool kind of got a got a hold of it after the March international break, um, and then that that's when the class told. And, and as we say, there twenty six from thirty points is what we've been used to uh, with this Liverpool team. Um, with, with uh, with let, let's face it, two lads at the back who aren't um, aren't going to be mainstays of the, the first team defence for the next ten years, are they? Despite how how well they've done, so Liverpool can look back on the season with um, mixed emotions. But I think that of such a really strong finish, and the fact that players are going to be getting fit in pre-season, and um, you know Van Dijk's not going to the Euros. I'm sure we'll come on to Trent. He's not going to be playing in the Euros now. So if Liverpool get a a really good pre-season under the belt and carry on that end-of-season form, then um, we'll be looking at something resembling um, something that we've been used to rather than the com- complete kind of freak season that we've just uh, witnessed. Yeah, absolutely. And also, of course, Matt, what's going to happen? Fingers crossed, touching any bit of wood I can get hold of. Um, we are in uncertain times, we know that, but, but um, seeing 10,000 fans back in the ground... For the Palace match, uh, and you could see what it did to the Liverpool players as well. It galvanised them, didn't it? Gave them, gave them what they'd been missing. So hopefully, you know, barring the catastrophe, we get we start we start next season with with full houses. And uh, what difference is that going to make, Matt, to, to to this team? It's just going to feel like, and I do feel sorry for this team, Matt. It feels like a team that did something extraordinary, and then had to watch you get brushed under the carpet. And um, with the fans coming back and with a stronger kind of squad, and with, we'll talk about some of the ins and outs uh, player-wise, um, and, and the fans packing the place out, that's going to be a very, very different prospect for teams coming to Anfield, isn't it? New season, Matt? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you only have to, to look back at, at those six home defeats in a row and you think, well, as much as the performances were really, really poor, I think if there was fans in the ground, even 10,000 fans in the ground for each of those games, there's just no way that that would have happened, is there? I mean, it's it does make a, a big difference, I think, for, for Liverpool as, as much as anybody else. And earlier in the season, you know, I, I wasn't too convinced about it, it being an excuse for, for poor performances and, and stuff like that. I think there was other mitigating factors that made, you know, more of a, a difference than the lack of, of fans. I think Liverpool, you know, to take Fulham for as, uh, you know, as an example, they should have been able to, to beat Fulham, whether there was fans in there or not. But you can't deny that, you know, it, it does make a huge difference. I was fortunate enough to be one of the 10,000 for that last game of the season. And it, it was just brilliant to, to be back. You could see you know, players like Thiago, that was his first game in front of, of any supporters at Anfield. And when you think about that and, and put that into the context of things as well, it, it does sort of explain a few of the strange things that went wrong. I mean, I'm personally not convinced that there'll be a full stadium straight away in August. I think to go from from 10,000 to, to 54,000 or you know however many there are around um, at other sort of stadia around the country, I think that would be you know a big leap to go from from one to the other. But at the very least, there should be 10,000, I think, in, in the ground, fingers crossed. And and hopefully that just sort of builds and builds. And it's just another reason, isn't it, to get excited for, for the start of next season. I think when last season started, obviously, you're excited for the football. You're excited to, to see the games. Obviously, Liverpool at that time are Premier League champions. But it's just not quite the same when you can't go. Or, or even if you're watching on, on the telly, you know, wherever you are in the world, you know, it's just not the same to, to see Anfield without fans. So... I'm sure, you know, Gorsty has been there far more frequently than me without supporters. He knows, you know, how much of a difference it makes. And it's just, you know, for everyone, whether you're a journalist, a fan, a player, Klopp, I think you just can't wait now to, to see that first game back. It, it's just going to be brilliant when it's back full again. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. Matt just mentioned there right at the end of it, Klopp. How frustrating a season has it been for Jurgen Klopp? I mean, again, you know, yeah. he's he, he cementing his legendary status at this club and he did so much. He broke the 30-year hoodoo that we had over winning the league again, first premiership title, you know, Champions League before that. If ever anyone wanted a party in the streets, it, it was Jurgen Klopp just to just to show his players how much he's, how much they loved and, and how much they love the fans. And he must be chomping at the bit, mate, to get some sort of something, sort of a, a, a full-strength squad back to be able to get on that pitch in front of fans. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and I think um, it might be something something approaching a perfect storm for Liverpool next season. If, if um, you know, I was I was looking at the, the squads for the Oros and, and there's actually not that many Liverpool players involved. Obviously, Trent's not gone now and, and Henderson is touch and go. Van Dijk's not there. Um, obviously, the, the, the front three are African and, and South American. Um, the goalkeeper's Brazilian. Fabinho is Brazilian. Um, so, obviously, Andy Robertson's the captain of Scotland. But there's not too many of this Liverpool squad, you know, key members of the squad that are going to be involved in the Euros. So, um, I'm not too sure um, I'm not too sure what's happening with the Copa America. But generally, if Liverpool can have a, a decent complement of players reporting for pre-season somewhere between, I mean, they go back on the 12th of July, so somewhere between the 12th and maybe the, the, the 20th of July. If you can get a, a decent nucleus of players there and get a good pre-season with a solid, um, you know, uh, working on the fitness in, in the European legs that the clock loves and, and some good uh, workouts in the friendlies, then Liverpool can really take a, a good run and a jump at the start of this Premier League season. And then from there, from there with the fans, coming back in in greater numbers um, and players getting fit and so on. I think 
it could all just be coming together at a good time for Liverpool next season. And, and then, obviously, with Canate, he's expected to be involved pre-season early on. So, he'll be settled and, and it might take him a couple of months, of course. But, you know, the earlier he's in, the quicker it'll take him to get acclimatised. And, and I just think everything looks to be coming together. It, you know, we're, we're looking at it more than two months on from the season starting. But looking at it early on, it looks as though one or two things are coming together quite well for Liverpool ahead of the, uh, the new season. Yeah, let's hope so. And also, there's talk, Matt, that um, Brazilian players and the Brazilians, they're not, they're not too happy with the COVID um, to and fro and that's going on with the Copa, uh, with the um, uh, the upcoming tournament there. So, so it could be that, that they don't even play in that. So, um, it could be very interesting. Do you think the time between now and the start of the season is is, is going to see a fully fit um, as far as he can get, Virgil van Dijk? Um, uh, and Gomez and stuff, or do you think there's still going to be a worry about whether they're going to make, make the start of the season with the with the injuries that they had? I mean, it, it's impossible to to tell you, to be honest, to, to be a hundred percent sure on that. But I think there's there's certainly signs of, of progress being made. I know, obviously, most of the players are, are away on holiday and things like that. I know the the training ground will still be open for for them to do the rehab and, and things like that. I'm sure, you know, for for Van Dijk and for Gomez, it's it's one of those things where. You've got a very definitive target. I think, you know, back in, in October, Van Dyke would have maybe been thinking, you know, can I play the last four or five games of the season? Can I go to, to the Euros? But obviously we know that's not the case now. He's he's definitely not doing that. And he's now got this new target of being back for, for pre-season. So I think Liverpool will be very, very careful. Um, I don't think they're they're gonna rush it by any means. I think the fact that they've got Canate at the moment, they've still obviously got Nat Phillips and, and other options. Suddenly they've got several players in that position. I don't think they're going to rush it by any stretch, but it's one of those things that I think until you start to, to play again and still until you, you kick your first ball back in, in a competitive match, you don't quite know how these things are. And I think we've seen in the past, particularly with Joe Gomez, when he's had long-term injuries, sometimes it's taken him you know a month or so to, to sort of get back to form. I think that's that's perfectly normal. But yeah, I just think Liverpool have to, to have enough options in that area that you're not reliant straight away on, on Van Dijk playing three games a week because I think that will be unrealistic. But it wouldn't massively surprise me if he was back and, and ready to, to start the first game of the season. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, the headlines uh, should be um, Liverpool player in, in, in England injury shocker. Doesn't happen that often, does it? I mean, Trent with all the to and fro and is he going, is he not going, is he going, is he not going? Sort of um, wrote his own story, really, didn't he? Uh, a second grade tear at the one, the quads, um, uh, as as put paid to it. I mean, I know what ninety nine percent of Liverpool fans are going to be punching the air and saying, "Well, as long as he's it's a four or five week layout, but he's going to miss the tournament, and mean he's going to be fresher." So, in purely selfish terms, as a Liverpool fan, it's it, it's 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 great because who knows what could have been down the line for him. Uh, certainly, until England get knocked out just after the group stages, if they get through, um, but. Uh, Obviously, for Trent, he's going to be disappointed. But suppose, in a way, this is better than being dropped from the squad um, psychologically for him because this he can't do anything about this. Whereas if he hadn't have been picked, um, it might have been something that sort of weighed heavy on him. But um, either way, he's out. And I would imagine Henderson surely isn't fit enough to be able to... I mean, I would be very frustrated if Henderson pushes his way into the first team because, you know, he hasn't kicked the ball competitively for a while. And... and um, and there's a real chance that he could go on and get injured and, and, and we'd miss him for the start of the season. So, um, 
fingers crossed that uh, Trent and Henderson um, don't go to the Euros, or certainly Henderson doesn't, because we know Trent isn't now, because it would just put us in that in that better position in midfield, Paul. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit disappointed for, for Trent, though. I mean, I know the kind of default stance is to, is to punch the air with the life that, you know, a key Liverpool player isn't going to risk himself for England, but I know I know he would have been delighted to have been included in the squad, and, and he would have really have wanted to have shown at this tournament why he's one of the best Right backs in world football, you know, he was only a young lad during the World Cup. He went, but he only played in that dead rubber against Belgium, um, and he was still kind of learning the ropes in, in 2018, wasn't he? But um, he was going to this tournament as one of the finest fullbacks in the world, and and after all the incredible Willy won't won't he stuff, eventually found out that Southgate that. Uh, Pulled his head out and, and realised that yeah, this lad has to go. Only for him to to be injured right at the very end of, of a nothing game against Austria and, and the Hatchetmen. Um, so it's a it was a shame for him really. I mean, um, obviously it is good news from a long term Liverpool perspective. But I was looking forward to him showing what he can do on on the big stage for England this summer. So um, that's a shame. But yeah, um, initial um, prognosis is four to six weeks. Um, but um, I suspect it might be a little bit longer than that because it always is. Henderson was initially meant to be that, and he still hasn't played, and, and he's been over in, injured for what three months now. So, yeah, um, another one who hopefully in the um, get back to KB, get some rehab on that um, thigh, and, and um, you know, hopefully he, he's present and accounted for at the beginning of the preseason. But we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But um, yeah, I, I can see why Liverpool fans are happy that. Um, one well, of their key men isn't going to the Euros. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be lots of to and fro be, be, before the start of the season, Matt. And there's a lovely, lovely kind of um, moment uh, before the um, the Scotland-Netherlands game, wasn't there, when uh, Genie Wijnaldum sort of shouts over to Andy Robertson, I want to give you a hug. He's going to be a big loss, Genie. And I, I, there's, obviously, there's, there's things coming out, messages coming out and sort of ambiguous kind of things saying, you'll know the full story. What is what is emerging as uh, as a clear point in this whole saga is that he didn't want to go. He wanted to stay at Liverpool, um, and for one reason or another, he was allowed to leave at the end of his contract. That probably tells you that Liverpool were prepared to pay whatever he was asking to pay, uh, uh, even though you know Klopp loved him, used him more regularly than probably any other first team player. I mean, he missed very little football action. What does that tell you about the situation, Matt? And you know, he surely wasn't asking for, you know, gazillions of pounds. And we're going to have to find someone to cover him. There's talk of Yuli Tielemans, who would be a great signing, no doubt about it. But um, it's such a shame this whole saga, isn't it? It, it? it dragged on the entire season. We knew that he was at the end of his contract. He kept putting it off, saying, "Well, oh, we're trying to negotiate." We knew the negotiations weren't working. He clearly asked for you know, a rise and Liverpool were prepared to pay it. What does that tell you, mate? I think to me, it's it's probably less about the money and more of, about the fact that Liverpool just wanted to to take a look at the midfield options and, and try and lower the age of them, to be honest. I think you've got Thiago is obviously a similar age to Wijnaldum. You've got Henderson in there. You've got Milner. There's kind of a, a need, I think, over the next two or three seasons to, to start to, to refresh that and Genie Wijnaldum turns 31, I think, in, in November time, December maybe this year. So it's kind of at that point where if you're going to put down a three or four year contract for him, which is probably what he would have been asking for, I would imagine, that's kind of, you know, 
sort of setting out your stall really for for the next few seasons of saying we're, we're going down this route and, and he's the one that we're going to go for but it is it's, it's a tricky one I think we won't know whether it's it's the right decision to to be ruthless and, and move him on for the for the next two or three years to be honest I think it, it's one of those that you'll look back in hindsight and think well as long as as Liverpool replace him and, and bring in somebody this summer which I think is is vital in terms of of a number in terms of a, a body at least in there because as you say he played so much football. I think it's just over 47 games a season that he played on average over five seasons that he was at, at Liverpool. So that's a, a huge number of minutes to, to fill and you don't quite have the confidence that the players who are there at the moment would be able to, to do that without an additional player coming in. But for me, it's it's one of those. I think it it is a, a ruthless decision. It, it's something that Liverpool have obviously had a long time to think about. It's it's kind of been eighteen months, two years that we've known that the situation was was like this. But yeah, it, it's a shame to to see him move on. But I think if you get a slightly younger version of him in, I think it, it might be the right decision long term. But for me, it's it's absolutely vital you go in and get another player in there, whether that's Yuri Tielemans or, or someone else. I don't know. I think. Leicester probably would ask sort of 70, 80 million for him. I think that's probably quite unlikely, but I think you've certainly, you've got to go and get another body because you just, you just don't have that confidence that say Cater or, or Chamberlain or, or players like this on past evidence, it, it's just impossible for them to, to stay fit long enough. And that, that was the biggest thing I think for me with one Alden is that he maybe wasn't as good as, as certain other players at, at certain things, but he was kind of just an all rounder. You could play him in two or three different positions and the biggest thing of all was he just never got injured. He was always there. I think that's the biggest thing that Liverpool have got to find this summer. Yeah, very much a clock player, Paul, wasn't he? He likes players that are versatile and play in one or two different roles or two or three different roles. Yeah. And certainly Wijnaldum offered that. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. You're talking about Tielemans being, you know, 17, 18 million pounds. A great player would be a great acquisition, no doubt about it. We've got Curtis Jones there. You've got Oxlade Chamberlain. You've got Kater. I mean, Liverpool, if Liverpool are going to bring in a prime um, midfield replacement with Alden, they're not going to be happy. Are they? They're going to be sitting there thinking, well, that just shows you what you think of us. Um, but in terms of, uh, of the team, there's definitely, he's definitely going to, uh, he's a hole that definitely needs filling. Phil Coutinho for 50 million. Uh, there's a story circulating in, in, in uh, the Echo uh, last week, I think. What Do you know any of the details behind that? And first and foremost, would you have Phil Coutinho? I would have Phil Coutinho back in a heartbeat. Um, I, I know there's, you know, there's, oh, we left us this, Daniel, they put in a transfer. Forget that. For players do that all the time. That kid was an absolute legend and a, an incredible player who not only was strong on the ball, but could could absolutely steal you three points from outside the box. Uh, a wizard at set pieces and an all-round incredible uh, player, unlock, unlocking defences with passes. Um, what would the, do you know anything of the situation about Phil Coutinho and, it, and how unlikely is it that we're ever going to see him in the red shirt again? Um, we won't be seeing him in the red shirt again. I'm not, I'm not sure what the story is that you mentioned. It's possibly one of our transfer rumours roundups from across... Um, across the rest of the internet, there's always stories emanating from Spain that he's close to a return to Liverpool, which is uh, <laughs> always Spanish agents. Yeah, they're always, they're always non-starters. To be honest, um, he was a, he was a fabulous player for Liverpool, and I actually think when when he left Liverpool in um, January of 2018, he was just approaching his best form for Liverpool. He, he was he was captain a number of times, and I remember a hat trick against um, Spartak Moscow in the Champions League, and, and I remember one performance against Brighton that was just breathtaking he really was you know really coming into his own and, and Yane Cup used to call him a wing 10 
Um, he could play play on the left of that front three. He could play, you know, as you as you central number ten and just an almost archetypal attacking midfielder, wasn't he? Um, modern attacking midfielder who pressed from the front and he was unbelievable on the ball and just hasn't worked out for him as it at Barcelona. That's you know another another Barcelona transfer that they still counting the cost of. You know, alongside Griezmann and, and Dembele and um, went the other way when they got rid of Suarez for not only went and won the league with Atletico Madrid with twenty goals. So. Um, yeah, um, you know, Liverpool got an astronomical figure for him and, and it helped kind of keep them rolling on with Van Dijk and Alisson and Fabinho and Keita. So, um, yeah, great player. Well, it lasted for five years, was it? But uh, we won't be seeing him in a Liverpool shirt anytime soon. I'm pretty confident. So, <clears throat> Baron Tielemans, who's been mentioned, who is out there? I mean, we're going to talk about, obviously, you know, Canate we've already got. It looks like... Um, he looks like he could be a great player. We don't know. I know he's been injury prone and people have been sort of red flagging that. But then, of course, you know, um, I'd say Van Dijk was injury prone. He got injury, injured again, but um, but was a consistently brilliant player. Um, they all got injured. They all got over him. He's a young lad. He's built like, certainly like a cooler bar. He's got that big, massive frame to him. Uh, looks to be classy on the ball, Matt. Um, but who do you see outside of Tielemans? Who do you think Liverpool may be sniffing around to try and fill in a... A youngie Gino Ronaldo, uh, uh, kind of attacking, holding midfield type player. I think for me, in terms of, of replacing Wijnaldum, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you go out and get a younger version of Wijnaldum in the, the sort of style of player that he is. I think it's it's more a case of you have to go and get another midfield option, but it doesn't necessarily have to to be a player that Liverpool have, have already got or, or already had in the case of Wijnaldum. I think the big thing that they are missing in the moment in their midfield is is that more creative player and obviously Coutinho is is that kind of player but it, it wouldn't be him I think it would be more a, a case of maybe going out and, and trying to get someone who's maybe a little bit more creative maybe could get a few goals from midfield basically what Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain kind of was when he was at his peak if there was somebody out there who you could maybe you know evolve that midfield and, and bring in a body who was able to, to do that I think that would would be something that would tempt me I mean in terms of, of a name, I mean, it, it's probably not going to be a more obvious one. I think what we've seen from from Liverpool in the past, even Wijnaldum himself probably wasn't an obvious choice to, to come into Liverpool. I think it, it might be someone that they've been keeping an eye on, the, the data and, and the sort of underlying numbers behind him maybe will will stand out as being of interest to them. But I think for, for me, it's, it's more going down that route. I think you do have to get in another body, but it doesn't have to be a Wijnaldum replacement. I think... Tienemans would be an ideal kind of like-for-like like, there or thereabouts in terms of, of replacing one album. But it could be that or, or it could be that you go about it a slightly different way and, and try and get more of a, a number eight, number 10 kind of hybrid that can get you a few goals as well. I think either way, it, it's more about replacing the minutes rather than replacing the actual player himself. Yeah, maybe we could get uh, <clears throat> Naby Keita and inject it with Ant. Was that Adamantium? <laughs> stuff that he put him just something to stop him twisting his ankle when he's putting his slippers on, you know, something that they could get because you know he had all the hallmarks, didn't he, of being that kind of player? And we're all looking for the Cantes of the world, aren't we? What a player that fella's been for first for Leicester and then for Chelsea. I mean, the guy can swing a game on his own, always does very, very well against us as well. That's the kind of feel the the role that you feel you need, don't you? I mean, we've got Thiago, we've got Hendo, and we've got um uh, Fabinho, who are at the moment probably going to be that midfield three, and then. Anyone of uh, anyone else making up the four, or or, or or Bobby dropping back into that, and so it seems to me that 
the, the names that are being flashed around at the moment, Ghosty, are more as a striking thing. I mean, we'll talk about that now, really. Our strikers this season um, fell short, really, didn't he? I mean, you know, most Salah's always one of them players who, who people can turn around to in the pub and say, oh, he's rubbish, him, and, and yet he's... It's like his third golden boot in, in, in four seasons, or certainly he was up for it before Kane nipped him at it. But And yet, when you come out of games with Mo Salah, you feel like he's missed four chances to get one, or indeed not scored at all and missed four. Isn't it? He's a bit of an enigma, isn't he? But <clears throat> ultimately, without his contributions and goals this season, we'd have been in a very, very different situation. Um but you've, of course, you've got Mane's lack of form was 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 was, was devastating to the side and was was yeah. unexpected and really really poor. Um, Jota, of course, can't be expected to do it all the time. Bobby came up with a few towards the end, but over the last few seasons, hasn't been in the mix really. So Liverpool seems to be looking at we're in that position again, aren't we, Paul? Where we need we need a striking threat, but we but without threatening the the front three that we've got. It's a tricky one. I mean, names being knocked about. Dusan Vlahovic from. Florentina has been thrown in the ad, 21 goals this season, 43 million euros. These are all the price ranges that Liverpool probably, you know, are looking at, are looking at really, aren't they? Rather than big ones, uh, Pats and Dakar as well. But um, who do you see in, in, in the in the sort of strike? Are Liverpool going to be looking for another striker? But again, going to be going to be one that is possibly going to be warming the bench for after season. Yeah, well, the way at the moment is they're going to focus on the contracts when they all come back. So they're looking at speak time, speak to Fabinho, Van Dijk, Allison, Trent, Salah, and Robertson about renewing their contracts, and and that will be where the bulk of the of the kitty goes essentially. But uh, yeah, they, they definitely need a centre forward for me. Divock Origi is surely now coming to the end of his Liverpool career. He's he's um he's had a, had a strange career, hasn't he? A couple of loan spells on top top of those incredible highs of performing against Everton and then, you know, Barcelona and then the Champions League final. So he'll leave Liverpool with um, with a strange story, a unique one. Uh, but yeah, I think it is time for him to leave. Yeah, Dan Chikiri was, um, he was wanted by Sevilla in Roma in January of last year and then a couple of Italian clubs again in October. He's, he's obviously still here, but I think he might be attracting attention again and he's barely played, so he might feel that. He's got uh, somewhere else to go for the last three or four years of his career. So, if Liverpool can can ship one or either of those two off, then that'll obviously help with the budgets and bringing in someone. But uh, they, they definitely do need someone, don't they? I mean, Jota, Jota's been a breath of fresh air this this season, and um, for me, you know, for me, need to kick up the backside and, and someone to come in and, and really, you know, put pressure on him for his place. And and you mentioned earlier, obviously, that he, he looked back to his, his best against Man U, didn't he? And then he scored against them. Um, Burnley, but uh, for too long now he, he's kind of just been floating under the radar and not really doing a whole lot uh, for me. Um, so certainly a number nine to come in and, and really put pressure on um, on Firmino. But it's got to be someone similar to Firmino, which I think is where the issue is for him to kind of be able to flourish with Salah and Mane either side of him. Because I don't think if if they get a kind of textbook trademark number nine who's greedy and doesn't you know tunnel vision when he's in front of goal? I think that will impact the team. So it's going to be a difficult balance snack for Liverpool to, to get that right this summer. But it, it's certainly something they've got to look at because uh, they, they need more. They need more. Uh, they can't just be reliant on on Salah and and Samane and Jota to an extent to share the goal scoring burden. You know, someone else needs to to come in. I mean, Matt Paul mentioned um, in in one of his statements before about um, Luis Suarez and, and and the fact that Barca let him go. 
for almost three and a half million or something. Like, I know his wage fee is probably astronomical, but I mean, he's, he's, he's weighed him with 20 goals and God knows how many assists. Was there a sniff around by Liverpool? I, remember, I read somewhere that Liverpool inquired and, and he said he'd rather stay where he was, but that would have been a bit of business, wouldn't it? Bringing him back. And, uh, you know, he, and I know he polarised. He didn't polarise many Liverpool fans. He polarised certainly a lot of the Premiership um, because of his uh, of his on-pitch um, activities at times. You know, he, he liked to nibble during the game, didn't he? But um, what a player and continues to be a player and, and was one of them players, Gorsi just mentioned. Not only did he have that tunnel vision, but he, he had a great touch for other players as well. I mean, his assist to Liverpool were fantastic as well. He'd have been a, a great little sniff around, wouldn't he? Was there any kind of inquiry from Liverpool that you know about, or was that just that just a done deal to go to stay in Spain? I'd be very surprised if Liverpool were in for him. I mean, he was, what, 33 last summer? I think he's since turned 34. Again, you, you mentioned the wages. I think they'd be absolutely enormous. It doesn't really strike me as a, a kind of player that, that Liverpool would go for. I think they will try and, and bolster their front line this, this summer. But I think it would be more likely to be a, a much younger player. I think it'd be a slightly more versatile player as well. I think we could see a, a kind of similar type signing to, to Diogo Jota, really, in that he can play in, in all three positions if you need him to. He's obviously got the, the potential and the ceiling potentially to, to succeed one of the front three moving forward. I think, obviously, it's easy now in hindsight to look back and say, you know, Atletico won the league and, and that was largely down to, to what Suarez did and, and that would have been good. But I don't know. I think last summer, if, if you'd have asked me, should Liverpool be interested in him? I'm, I'm not quite sure that I would have said yes, to be honest, even you know, given what he'd done for, for Liverpool in the past. I think it's just one of those things that will always be there. It's a little bit like the, the Coutinho thing. I think he'll always be linked because there's a kind of affinity. He's obviously been there in the past, but I think it's it's really, really unlikely that, that Liverpool were ever in for him, to be honest, just for, for those couple of reasons, really. I think if he was 10 years younger, yeah, of course they would be. But I think at, at 34, his time has, has been and gone, really. Poetry in Motion on the Blood Red Channel. What about Rafinha then, Paul? I mean, he seems to be someone who's floating in and out of the radar of Liverpool, mm -hmm. isn't he? Talks of a thirty odd million pound uh, snatch for him. Looks like a decent player, though, Paul. Yeah, he does. What I've seen of him this season at Leeds, he always looks like one of their brightest players, and and Leeds are a, are a breath of fresh air to watch, aren't they? They just—they're always difficult to figure out who plays where, what positions. Other than Calvin Phillips, I know as a centre mid, all the rest of them just and Bamford's the centre forward. All the rest of them just seem to do as they please. They're, they're a crazy team to watch, but but great, and looking forward to seeing them next season. But yeah, Rafinha. Whenever I've seen him, looks bright and, and uh, inventive, and I'd be, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool weren't at least keeping tabs on on his situation. Eddie. I think he he only been there one season, hasn't he? I think he might have paid just over fifteen million or so for him. Um, so yeah, he he will be one who who they're definitely looking at. I, I would guess. Uh, don't know that for certain. I haven't heard that from anyone at the club, but uh, just knowing that the, the way they work and so on, he very much fits the mould of of a Liverpool type forward doesn't he versatile um done it a little bit further down the league and, and would probably be available for you know not astronomical money so yeah um for me he ticks several boxes yeah definitely there's a young there's a young african player as well that's been floated about i can't think of his name though he's been he's been playing for the for, for his national side and, and he's i mean that's very much the liverpool technique isn't it they will try and find you know the mbappes we've heard about for the last two years god knows how long um, not day goes by when he isn't interested in the move to Liverpool. So somebody says, 
um, and the Harlands, the world. Look, the fact, the simple fact of the matter is, and we've said this before on previous pods, we're not getting those kind of players because we we don't pay them kind of structures. They are likely to go to the Chelsea's and the uh, the Man Cities of the world, Andy. Let's be honest with you, Man City, of course. Um, Missed out on the Champions League place, bottled it really, didn't he? It was their first final, God love them. We've had nine finals and won six. Just digest that for a second. Um, but uh, they fluffed their lines in the final. Uh, so they're going to be looking to spend half a trillion quid, aren't they, to put, to put a bit of, um, you know, plaster on that wound. Uh, so you're looking at probably the Harlands of the world. If they don't go to 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 Juventus, uh, to to uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, who are financially in a bit of stick themselves, let's be honest with you. Um, so Liverpool really... Really have to try harder than they ever had before to try and uncover the uncut gems, don't they? Because they're not going to be with the big boys when it comes to um, financial. I mean, big boys financially. I don't mean big boys as in class and style and trophies one, of course, because we, we lead the field in that. But um, the Harlands and the Mbappes ain't going to be coming our way anytime soon, Matt Hardy. So there's a little... You've got to hope that... And they've done it in the past, haven't they? Let's be honest with you. Our, our recruitment has been very good in recent years. So you've got to hope that someone is out there that is... Is ticking their boxes that nobody else has seen. Yeah, that's that's the model, isn't it? I mean, even with Thiago last summer, he was maybe slightly different in that he was a bigger name, but obviously the contract situation meant that Liverpool could get him for a cheaper fee. So it's it's always about trying to find more value, be a bit more clever than, than some of the other clubs. And I mean, you know, some Liverpool fans I think would be frustrated by that, but you only have to look at, at what Jurgen Klopp has done with this team over the last couple of seasons. There can't really be any arguments that that's the wrong way of going about it. I think the success speaks for itself. Liverpool have been able to, to match or, or better Manchester City at times, even without having spent that money. So it wouldn't be a massive you know, thing for, for me if, if Liverpool you know, only went and, and maybe bought one or two players. Obviously, they've got Canate. If they got maybe one more and, and spent similar to what they've done in the past, it, it shouldn't be concern at all because we know that that's how Liverpool do things and it's worked for them in the past so I think they will be clever I think you know Rafinha is is a name that, that would interest me the only issue with him I think is that he's left-footed and, and plays on the right obviously Mohamed Salah is, is doing that job pretty well for Liverpool already so I'd be surprised if maybe it was him but I think someone like him in that kind of mould that's similar as I say to, to Diogo Jota last summer in that he's ready to to make that next step and you could sort of see the value going up, but yeah, the, the price has got to be right. The player's got to be right and, and Liverpool won't do anything unless those two things are the case. And like I say, you, you just have to, to trust them. They've got the numbers. They've got, you know, all the, the data science behind it. They know, you know, which players are worth going for and, and which ones are not. And I'm sure whoever they do end up going for, it'll be the right person. Yeah. And Paul, looking forward, optimistically looking forward to the start of the season. If you've got Konate there, um, who has clearly been bought to get into the side. He hasn't been bought as a squad player. He's been bought as a yeah. team, first team pick. If we have the best possible scenario where we have a Van Dijk who's ready, strong and fit to start again alongside Canate, that's going to be some potential back four, isn't it? Because from what I've seen of Canate, and I've always said this, of course, when you watch YouTube mashups of footballers, you know, Titus Bramble looked great, didn't he? <laughs> um, you can make anyone look fantastic, but... Um, he seems to have a, a, a he seems to have a cool head on the ball, doesn't he? He's good with his feet. He, he and when he does when he does seem to bound forward, he does it with a lot of skill. He can beat players. He can drop a shoulder. He looks like he could be a, a, that could be a potentially fantastic uh, central defensive uh, partnership, couldn't it, Paul? Yeah, it looks fearsome, doesn't it? On paper, when when you see the, the two man mountains of, of Canate and Van Dijk. Um, 
and also let let's be fair to to Joe Gomez, who was you know he was fantastic last season. Well, the season before last wasn't he when Liverpool won the Premier League title? Joel Matip has been excellent when he's fit. So that as a, as a four-man defensive department next season with possibly Nat Phillips uh, as a fifth choice is formidable, isn't it? You know the teams are going to have a hard time getting around those lads. You know whether you want to beat them for pace or trickery or strength or in the air they, they seem to have a, a perfect blend. But uh, yeah, I like I like the idea of Canate coming in. He's only, he only just turned 22 on the 25th of May of all dates. Um, so Liverpool giving him a five-year contract is a a serious kind of statement that this guy is going to be the you know a defensive rock for, for for the best years of his career. And you mentioned before Neil about injury kind of history and and some people are saying he's injury prone. I, I had a little look into that last week and I don't actually think it's as, it's as bad as what it first appears. He had a he had a hip injury which took the best part of, of a year to heal. He had kept coming back and it kept you know um, flaring up again and, and he ended up going under the knife. Um, so you think he did miss, well, in and out, he missed like a year of, of action with that one injury, uh, which can happen, can't it? You look at Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez this season. Joe Gomez in, in previous seasons, he's had you no know, bad luck with long one particular long-term injury. So um, I don't actually think it's been that bad. He did get an ankle injury in, in December, which kept him out for two months, and that was why he was on the bench for the Liverpool games. But generally, he's had that one massive injury. But other than that, he just seems to be injured, you know, as regularly as, as any normal player so hopefully he'll come to Liverpool fit and firing and, and uh, we'll see no more flare-ups of of that hip injury or, or any other long-term injury and of course Matt what it gives what it will hopefully give us as well because what we sort of forgot that we lost when we lost Van Dijk not only did we lose you know the world class one of the best in the world centre-backs but it was the aerial threat as well wasn't it from, from set pieces we can't rely on Becker every week can we to be nodding them headers home Um so it, it will be that threat as well, and hopefully Canate with the size he's got, it looks that that we could also have a, have an attacking threat when it comes to um, to corners and set pieces. Yeah, I think it's it's attacking and it's it's defensively as well, isn't it? I mean, the, the amount of times that there's been sort of counter attacks, and, and you maybe haven't fancied Liverpool's centre backs this season to to be able to deal with that. That just isn't even something that opposition teams would consider. I mean, running at Van Dijk, Gomez, and Canate is is a completely different proposition isn't it and I think that the other thing as well I mean it, it obviously makes a huge difference for, for the centre-backs to, to be back in terms of strengthening that area but I think it, it gives the opportunity say for, for Costa Simicast to come in you obviously won't see Andy Robertson play every single match on the opposite side as well Trent played a, a lot of football but if you've got Van Dijk and Canate there or Van Dijk and, and Gomez there you'd fancy that that Nico Williams could come in and, and do a better job so it's it's just that knock-on effect isn't it it's you know set pieces it's squad rotation it's the actual centre-back position themselves just look so much stronger but it's just yeah as I say it's that knock-on effect of, of having a huge impact across the team and I know you know a lot of people won't like me saying it but it will be it will effectively be like having two new signings at centre-back with Van Dijk and Gomez back and throwing Canate as well. It's it's one of those lines that gets thrown about too often, I think, that the new signing type thing. But I think with, with these two, the amount of time that they've been out, the, the struggles that Liverpool have had there, I think that's a, a fair thing to, to say on this occasion. Yeah, it'll bring a it'll bring a much needed balance to the side, won't it? I cannot wait. My excitement for the start of the season um is just boiling up because because and we know that there'll be a few surprise um 
additions to the side as well. There's no doubt about it. There'll be a, a little bit more strength in the squad, I would imagine. I know Paul's just saying about, obviously, they want to pin down contracts as well, but I'm sure there'll be something there to, to up front or whatever, just to strengthen that side. And let's face it, lads, most people were, were hoping and praying uh, outside of Anfield and the surrounding area that we were going to miss the Champions League places. It would have been detrimental. It would have been devastating to Liverpool. We didn't. We're in there. We're back in. We're reforming. Everyone listen to this right now. Just remember that we are going to be bigger, better and stronger than we have been for a long, long time. We were the champions. We've we've uh, conceded that title. We are going to get it back. There's no doubt about it. This Liverpool side is going to get back to somewhere near its best very, very shortly. Paul Gorst and Matt Addison, thank you very much, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, I will see you all again soon. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.